Welcome to yet another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Chris Stroud. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we are here talking about your favorite medical stuff from a Catholic perspective. And we're brought to you in large part by the generous underwriting of our friends at CMF Curo. Check <coughs> them out at mycatholichealthcare.org. You can live your faith in your health care with CMF Curo. Today, all three of us co-hosts are in studio and we will be interviewing our very own Bishop Kevin Rhodes about medical fatalism. Now, I think that Andrew made up this term. He wanted to see how long <laughs> we would go with this before he said April Fool's to us, but it's uh, <laughs> not April Fool's yet. So I had to look it up. So fatalism in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary is defined as the belief that events are fixed in advance so that human beings are powerless to change them. Andrew, this show topic was your idea. What in the heck prompted you to want to do this? Yeah, this is a daily uh, issue for me, and it, it can be frustrating. I love my patients. Um, <laughs> I try and love everybody, but you see this and you feel sometimes like you want to help them because this is, a, a in my mind, I think it's a bad worldview that we're all susceptible to at times, but I've seen it a lot more lately, especially after COVID. And mm. it's generally this overarching apathy to health and recommendations in the name of a faux submission to divine providence. Mm. A faux submission. Uh, yeah, I that's, love it. that's that's kind of my thought or, or what I'm seeing. And maybe an example would be, you know, if God wants my diabetes to get better, he can heal me. So <laughs> I don't need to take insulin. I'm not into that. Yeah. I, I'm not taking any medicine. I'm perfectly healthy. I'm like, well, you're not taking any medicine. That's true. Uh, <laughs> I, I That's not my recommendation, though. And, uh, you know, this usually coincides with the dislike, dislike of medicine and uh, interventions in general. Uh, I, I found it lately really augmented by a distrust of authorities, uh, especially secular authorities mm. that hold different morally unsound positions like on abortion. But, but that could definitely be a side effect of the pandemic as well, right? Well, and really that's a political position, not a medical one. Yeah. Uh, you know, na name somebody who's in favor of abortion. I'll never trust them on anything. Well, I, I trust them to stop at a red light, yeah. you know, <laughs> even though they, they like abortion. I think that's terrible. I've had patients tell me I will never trust the government again and whatever that means with blood pressure pills or shots or what oh, have you. Sure. And it's, it's a distrust of a specific situation that gets transposed to the general and really all medical care, all, I mean, we're painting with a wide brush and we all do that, but I feel like COVID made this worse. And Honestly, I don't blame patients because there was a lot of problems with mm. COVID, the recommendations, the messaging, the honesty. Sure. I mean, we all saw those problems. I think it'll be interesting to hear, Bishop Rhodes, you know, is this the same thing as sort of a Presbyterian predestination? Right. You know, is it sort of, met, is it a medical version of predestination? Oh. I, don't, I don't have to exercise. I don't have to take my blood pressure pills. Uh, if God wants to cure me, he will. So I'll jump off this building and he'll catch me if he wants to. Well, and there's, but there's sometimes where this is reasonable. So yesterday, I operated on a 100-year-old woman's cancer on her on her nose. It was big and it was ugly. And but the, the question is, sometimes it is reasonable not to do something. Yes. Right. Um, That's so, not being fatalistic. That's being reasonable. Right. So it's not like this is a black and white issue. That's and right. We don't want to present it as that. Just mm -hmm. because your doctor says you can treat this doesn't mean you should treat it. Well, and that's one of the things that I want to ask Bishop about is this whole idea of burden, low burden, high burden. Mm. What, I mean, we we have an obligation to some extent to take care of our bodies, mm. our body soul composite. To what extent are we obliged to take care of ourselves? To what extent is it optional, especially if it's really burdensome, like skin cancer surgery, that's pretty burdensome for a 100-year-old. So there's a decision to be made there. You know, I think of the uh, the cute little story, and I, and I won't bore our listeners with the details, but, you know, it's the guy who keeps passing up rescue because he says, God will send an angel. Right. Uh, and eventually right. he's on his roof in a flood, and the water's rising, and he, you know, waves away the helicopter to rescue him. And then when he, when he gets to heaven, God says, you know, why didn't you take the help that I sent you? Or he says to God, why didn't you send me help? And he says, I sent you all these angels and you sent them away. You know, in medicine, are we doing the same thing if we refuse care, saying God will cure me? Maybe maybe he's trying to cure us through your hands. I mean, I don't know, am I, am I crazy here? Do you see this in your work, Chris? I do, 
Absolutely. I see this infertility a lot. You know, couples will say, well, we're not pregnant. We're not going to do anything because if we were called to pregnancy or called to parenthood, you know, God would just cure us of this. And I really struggle with that because I think, what if God's answer is, I operate on you and remove your endometriosis Mm -hmm. or repair your fallopian tubes and make you whole because you have a disease process, you know, a a case of dis-ease. There's something that's wrong. And if we right that wrong through the mechanisms and the technology and and the knowledge that that God has allowed us to, to obtain, is that just participating in his will? Or if we don't do that, is it getting in the way of his will? Right. Uh, we'll ask those questions to someone much, much smarter, like Bishop Kevin Rhodes. You know, I looked and found a couple studies on medical fatalism. I guess Andrew didn't just make this up. But there was one example of research related to the pandemic, and it was called Fatalism Beliefs and Behaviors During the COVID-19 Pandemic. And, and the core finding of this study was that the more infectious people thought the virus was, the less that they wanted to do to reduce their chance of getting it. Oh, it's going to happen anyway. Oh. Isn't that incredible? Uh. And to, to me, I would be like the opposite. So I truly don't understand what's motivating some people. Well, it makes me think of the old days when when people used to smoke. I, I guess they still do, but not much. Right. right? <laughs> and I would say, you got to stop smoking. You know, you're going to get lung cancer. And they would say, well, everybody's got to die of something. Yeah. Oh, right. yes, I have yeah. heard that. And I would always want to say... That's everybody who can still breathe. Right. So <laughs> we, you are correct in that... We're all suffering from a terminal disease. We're going to die, but we're not all going to die an ugly respiratory death. Yeah. So let's let's check that one off the list by by not smoking and taking care of ourselves. Well, it makes me think about that learned helplessness. Mm. If you guys remember, mm. there's like a classic study with they're shocking the poor dog. Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, they shock him, and he jumps to the other side, and it's safe over there. And they shock him there. And eventually, this is terrible. Sorry, sorry to that little dog. They don't do this anymore. I don't think. But they just keep shocking him, and he they never turn up. it off. Yeah. He just lays down and takes it. And I and I think that might be ah, part of the very good. the mentality here, where you feel like you are powerless mm. to help yourself. Lack of trust, lack of knowledge, lack of whatever. Um, so you just give up and say, "What the heck? Who cares?" But I mean, that makes it makes my job harder and a little more stressful too, because. Heck, I'm I'm trying my best to help. Uh, bending over backwards, and I want to help. And you have the ability to improve yourself. You're not helpless. You have you have mm. opportunity there. And I, I think our job, maybe on this episode, is to help listeners uh, with Bishop Rhodes' assistance, help them understand what is what's being faithful and being trusting in God's providence versus what's being fatalistic right. and stubborn and, you know, frankly, maybe sinful. And it's uh, not clear cut, right? <laughs> I mean, right. these are, there's there's lines there, but it is something where it requires a lot of reflection. Mm. And uh, I don't know about you guys, I need more time for reflection. I think we probably all do. Mm. Well, and here's another study where they looked at cancer fatalism and whether race or education was related. Mm. And, they, and they showed that, you know, um, white, non-Hispanic, um, whites, Hispanic whites, and uh, blacks, there was no difference by race, but there was a difference by education. So the more education people got, the less fatalistic they were. Interesting. And, and then finally, there's one that looked uh, in Peru at religious fatalism and acceptance of COVID vaccines. And this was interesting. It could go both ways. In other words, sometimes a certain religious fatalism would say, oh, no, I'm not going to get the vaccine. God's going to take care of me. But on the other hand, there were other vaccines where um, or other religions where they said it has a positive influence on vaccine acceptance because other groups argued based on the Bible that the vaccine is a gift from God. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, it's so localized, whatever our mentality is. Yes. It, and you kind of see the herd mentality. But I, I guess to, to Chris's point, what are we obliged to do? I mm. mean, I love the Catholic faith because we're not really judged on outcomes for, for most of the things we do. <laughs> we're judged on what we do. Thank goodness. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yes. and so what are Amen. we obliged to do? Mm. That's my big question. Yeah, could you say no to a treatment 
and you're not being fatalistic. You're just making an informed decision. Right. And those are different things, but they look similar. That's right. So figuring that out is going to be part of what I hope we help listeners do. So for our medical trivia question today, I thought of something that kind of borders on the subject, and the category is prescription fill rates. Uh, mm, yes. Yes. So I found an article published in November of 2018 called Prescription Fill Rates for Acute and Chronic Medications in, um, in Certain Data. So... What they looked at was 175,000 patients and who received a prescription for either high blood pressure, diabetes, or some in infection for an antibiotic. Just little things. Little things. So, and remarkably, about the same percentage of patients in each group did not fill the prescriptions. What percentage, so this is the question, what percentage of patients in this large sample did not fill their prescriptions? We're going to tell you at the end of the show after our wonderful upcoming interview with Bishop Kevin Rhodes on medical fatalism here on Dr. Doctor. Welcome back to our special guest interview today on Dr. Doctor. We are recording in studio with our own ordinary Bishop Kevin Rhodes. Uh, Bishop Rhodes has been on the show before. We're happy to have him here. He has been Bishop of uh, the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend since January 2010. Before that, he was Bishop in his home diocese of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, he's a glutton for punishment at the USCCB level where he has been uh, the chairman of the Task Force on Healthcare, the chairman of the Committee on Laity, Marriage, Family, Life, and Youth. Uh, he was the chairman of the Committee on Doctrine, and he shepherded through that document on the Eucharist, which garnered overwhelming support from his uh, brother bishops, which uh, to me shows an astounding uh, level of emotional intelligence in doing that. And he is the upcoming chairman of the Committee on Religious Freedom. So we thought because of his background, he's perfect <coughs> for this topic of medical fatalism. Bishop Rhodes, welcome back to Dr. Doctor. Thank you, Tom. Great to be with you. Your remarks are very kind. I don't deserve those yeah, kind and I of would remarks. Have to, I would take issue. There's nothing ordinary about our bishop. <laughs> <laughs> True. He's the extraordinary form of, of the bishop. Well, um, Andrew, since this is your uh, topic idea, I thought, you know, you le hitting lead off here, what do you want to ask the bishop first? Yeah, I guess, you know, we're kind of titling this idea medical fatalism. Uh, and we were talking off air maybe about theological analogies. Have you ever heard of medical fatalism before? I had heard of it, but I was, I'm really more familiar with how this is dealt with in philosophy and especially in theology, um, religious fatalism. But it's, very, it's all connected. Okay. Well, so what is religious fatalism? It's the idea that, um, that everything... Uh, that there's real no, really no significance to our free will. Mm. In other words, that it kind of goes back to really the Greeks and the fates, you know, mm. and the idea, for example, that everything is predetermined by the gods. And you see this in uh, not only pagan Greece and pagan Rome, but it resurfaces throughout history, even some strands of of Christianity, but the Catholic Church has always rejected both fatalism and determinism. Um, determinism really is a denial of, of free will mm -hmm. itself, but uh, fatalism, I distinguish it a little bit, is doesn't really deny free will itself, but denies its significance. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's easy to see, I think, how you could slip into this, but, you know, simplistically, or maybe that's not true, but um, so what's the difference between, you know, we will say God knows all, he sees time across the spectrum, knows the hairs on our head before we were born. You can see how you could go from that to, well, the end of the story is already written, so it doesn't matter what I do today. What's wrong with that thinking, you might say? All this is connected, and there have been a lot of theological debates over these issues. It really gets into the issue uh, also of predestination and how we understand predestination, both biblically and in the, the church's tradition. Um, but I think what's really important is you have to uphold um, the idea, yes, God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And of course, within God, there is no time. So this is very hard for us because it's very much a mystery for us. But God knows the past, present, and future. And, you know, we can speak of 
with God the eternal now. Mm -hmm. So yes, for example, God knows uh, what our future decisions uh, will be. Mm. Like he knows what I'm gonna be doing tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, Now you might say, well, Bishop, what if you change your mind? Well, God already knows that I'm going to change my mind. Um, Now, some will will then say, well, then that means we're not free. Mm. But that's not true. Uh, We still are free. God has given us. So you have to uphold um, human freedom uh, in the midst of this. Just because God knows uh, the future doesn't mean that we're not free. Mm. He just already knows what our choices will be. And this gets into the whole also, and this I, I don't think in this program we want to get into all the things about predestination, but I think it is important to mention that um, the church has never accepted what's called double predestination, mm. uh, where some would say that God not only wills our salvation and predestines us uh, to uh, be his adopted children, et cetera. St. Paul talks about that. But um, there are some who say, well, God predestines us to hell. Uh-huh. Uh, that is not, you know, that would be considered a heresy by the church uh, because, you know, what kind of a God would we would believe that. in yeah. uh, that would be that cruel, you know? Um, so we believe as Catholics that there's a cooperation that we have, that, that God you know, predestines us to glory. He predestines us, um, you know, is going to give us the grace that we need, sufficient grace. Um, but at the same time, um, he doesn't force us, that he has given us this gift of freedom, so we have to cooperate with his grace. So all of these issues are um, are really connected. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I appreciate the s- steeped, philosophy and theology, the historical perspective that you're, you're kind of bringing that we've we've talked and thought about this for a long time related to salvation. I don't know if a lot of a lot of patients think about it in the same way related to their health, but it's yeah. it's very similar kind of the questions that come up. Um, just the general idea that maybe I'm somewhat out of control of what may happen to me or if uh, things that have kind of been told to me before, if if God wants me to die, I'm ready to go whenever he wants me. Um, the corollary is I don't have to do any particular thing, uh, especially if if it seems lucky to me or I don't want it. Um, <laughs> First time that word's been announced on Dr. Doctor in five years. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. So it's how, how should we think about this as it relates to our health? Great question. This gets into the whole notion of divine providence. Do we, are we to trust in God's providential care for us? Yes, we do trust in God's providence. At the same time, that doesn't mean that we don't have any responsibility. Mm. Uh, in other words, God gave us human reason. He gave us and he gives us the gifts of his grace. Um, so it is very important that, especially when we look at moral decisions, including medical moral decisions, that we recognize, for example, um, God's, uh, you know, the commandments, that he has given us our human life as a gift, and we have a responsibility to take care of our life and our health. That is a moral responsibility. We can't just say, well, God's going to take care of it in some kind of a flippant manner when God has given us human reason. Mm. So we need for example, if someone says, well, I mean, this is probably an extreme example, but, you know, the idea that, well, God's going to take care of me, but I'm going to live this unhealthy lifestyle. Mm. No, I mean, <laughs> that's not God's will, because then we're not being good stewards. We're not owners of our own body. We're, we're stewards of our body. We're stewards of God's creation, including our human bodies. Wait, so now that reminds me of something we heard a lot during the pandemic, and that was the use by pro-life people of a common slogan of pro-abortion people, and that is, my body, my choice, ah. with abortion or with COVID vaccines. And just you just said, 
our bodies are not our own. Would you elaborate on that? What does that really mean on a live day-to-day basis for people? Yeah. I mean, the way I look at it, that's a great question too, is, is to see that my body is a gift from God. Mm. And therefore, um, that gift, I have the freedom to re- accept and respect the gift, take care of my health. Um, and that's not being selfish. Um, it's being really respectful of God. Mm. Um, now, we have to be concerned not only with our own physical health, but that of others. Sure. I mean, you in the medical profession, I mean, that's your vocation. Uh, you're serving the health and well-being of your patients. Uh, and would, that would um, under the cardinal virtues, <laughs> yes. I've been learning these better lately, would care for the body as a gift of God come under the virtue of justice, something we owe to God because he gave it to us, or is there a, a link there? I think there is. I often think of the virtue of temperance ah. as well because, mm-hmm. you know, moderation, sure. um, and that's so important for, for our good health as well. Um, and I think, you know, fatalism comes in here when someone uh, thinks, well, that uh, a medical fa- fatalism that Andrew talked about, uh, the problem with that is then there's no acceptance of moral responsibility. Well, I, I've noticed this doesn't come up with like my car payment. Like <laughs> God's going to just take care of it. Right. I just have to go out there Thursday night. It'll be in the mailbox. I endorse it, send it in Friday. God's going to take care of the car yeah. payment. I don't see a lot of people espousing that worldview. But in, in medicine, it's so prolific mm-hmm. where, you know, it always impresses me because, as I said, I – I love all my patients, but a lot of times they don't want to do anything that is it makes sense to me, and that's okay. Um, but they they keep coming back, and and so I it's I struggle sometimes to understand how much should I really encourage them from a perspective of like we're stewards, right? Right. Because when I hear the stewardship, my mind immediately goes to the the servants with the talents. And the guys who make an investment and make a profit and the poor guy who buried his, what a sucker. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm not going to be that guy, right? And, and so I guess one of the things that I'm trying to figure out, we were talking in the first quarter about there's a, a place for us to make medical decisions based on reasonableness and burden. And that's good. And that's like all medical decisions. But it, it would seem there might also be a baseline stewardship that we owe to to God and to to our bodies being a good steward where is that what commandment does that fall under you know I mean I think it falls under the fifth but um, because that's where we treat uh, not only you know thou shalt not kill okay not only the prohibitions against homicide and abortion and euthanasia and suicide but also um, there are positive parts of that that um, and that includes taking care of uh, one's life and one's health now, I think what you mentioned, too, about, you know, uh, benefits and burdens, et cetera, what are we obliged to? Ordinary means of taking care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we, I'm sure you've talked about ordinary and extraordinary mm-hmm. means in, uh, on this show. It's so sure. important in Catholic medical moral teaching. And, you know, even in our ethical and religious directives, we, we give some very clear guidance, the bishops mm-hmm. do, about this, especially when you're dealing with people who are seriously ill and dying. But every person is obliged to use ordinary means Mm. to preserve his or her health. We say that in number 32 of the ethical and religious directives for Catholic health care services. Maybe, you know, um, so uh, now we're not, you know, obliged to submit to certain procedures that where there isn't a reasonable hope of benefit. Uh, or excessive risks and burdens. You know all of that as good Catholic doctors. I know that. Um, but I think our, you know, your patients and our people, we need to form their consciences uh, well in this and form their consciences better, especially those who aren't willing to use ordinary means to preserve their health. That's, um, that's problematic. It almost feels like gluttony of sort. You know, uh, I'm not going to do things to get my cholesterol down. I'm not going to treat my blood pressure because it's all predetermined. So I'm just going to sit here on the couch and eat donuts. <laughs> you know, that seems disrespectful 
to the gift that is our health. Um, and it feels wrong. It feels almost sinful. Right, right, exactly. And I think that's where temptations come in. I mean, to moderate our appetites. I mean, that's why we have Lent. Uh, you know, that's why we have practices like fasting. It, it, it's really to help us to kind of control those passions. Um, you know, I don't think I've heard a homily or even given a homily about gluttony in years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it probably wouldn't hear be that, a bad idea. <laughs> and, and how often, and I can think to myself, well, probably in examining my conscience, I don't know that I've ever really considered that very much, and I should, yeah. you know, because um, now oftentimes, you know, it would be a venial sin. Uh, although you have to be careful, uh, venial sins are also significant in the sense that repeated venial mm -hmm. sins can lead to mortal sin. And if you're sort of thumbing God and saying, <laughs> I'll have the other donut, it doesn't matter, I'm in charge. Right, right, That's right. more serious than just overeating once or twice, right? Right, right. You know, in medicine, it wasn't that long ago that you would walk into the physician's lounge and have to duck beneath the cloud of smoke. Because <laughs> <laughs> right? physicians and nurses were notorious smokers. Um, but even today, you know, physicians are notoriously in bad health, yeah. whether they're overweight, they don't exercise, they don't live well. Um, and I, I just wonder, you know, um, as you're counseling priests, do you find that are they susceptible to this sort of fatalistic, you know, I'm a priest, therefore I don't have time to think about my health or my body or these kind of healthy decisions? I don't think it's really something that they would consciously mm. do. Uh, but I think maybe unconsciously or subconsciously, I mean, I can even think of myself, you know, I know I should exercise more, <laughs> you know, I know that. I mean, my doctor will tell me that, my <laughs> cardiologist tells me that. Yeah. And I kind of like struggle because I have so many other things to do and, uh, you know, and and therefore, you know, there, there seems to be, you know, there's an element of self-discipline that's needed. Mm. Um, uh, you know, you know, tend to, for example, in my situation, I tend to be an al a workaholic, not an alcoholic. <laughs> Thanks be <laughs> to God. <laughs> no, a workaholic, and um, you know, so I have to fight that sure. that temptation to work too hard, and then neglect, you know, for example, physical mm -hmm. exercise. So, Bishop, I guess maybe a couple of examples to kind of flesh out how to think about this because really I think one of our big hopes with the show is to help form the consciences of our listeners of ourselves and try and figure out how to even articulate this because I, I've struggled with that at times I, I can talk about the medical stuff and what's smart there but I think there's something I'm missing to articulate and so some of these examples might be triggering. And but Andrew, <laughs> this might be a perfect time to take our break, and then we can just Hardy dive into time. the whole second half with examples, because I think that's stories. That's where I learn the best. Yes, I uh, think good. So we'll be back with uh, Bishop Kevin Rhodes and some stories related to medical fatalism here on Dr. Doctor. And we are back today on Dr. Doctor with our own Bishop Kevin Rhodes. Thank you for being here, Bishop. To, to dive right into examples, here's what I hope is a boring one. <laughs> Somebody's got extraordinarily high blood pressure. Uh, we know high blood pressure every 10 points on top might shorten your life by about three years. So wow. somebody's running, you know, 180 on top instead of 120. That's really bad. I say, hey, you should take this blood pressure pill. Almost nobody has side effects. It's once a day. It's like a vitamin. It'll help you. they like, I don't like taking medicine. I'd rather not. I feel fine. God will take care of my blood pressure. How should I talk to that patient? Yeah. Obviously, the church rejects that kind of thinking, that medical fatalism. Um, that person is not, is, um, you know, really not respecting um, not only uh, human reason in this situation, uh, me good medical science. I mean, I guess they're not rejecting what science is saying, but the fact that they are just saying, well, I'm just leaving it up to God, that's not God's will. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, the Lord, it's, it's very clear that we're called to, um, you know, by the Lord to, to take care of our health. Mm. And I would say that's ordinary means. And um, so I think trying to form, help in the formation of that 
patient's conscience is really important. Ultimately, they have free will, so you can't obviously force them. But um, there's no counterindications that this is in any way going to be harmful to the person's health mm -hmm. to take um, medicine for high blood pressure. Right. So, so Bishop mean, Rhodes, we talk about ordinary and extraordinary means, and all of our conversations <coughs> before have been about at the end of life. This is not at the end of life. This is in the big middle part of life. So how do we think about what are ordinary means during the vast majority of life yeah. versus we're in the ICU at the end? Yeah. Well, I think of the Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. So this is part of the proper love of self. Mm -hmm. And it's not only about oneself. It's also about others in one's life. I mean, I don't know that if that uh, patient has a family, mm. you know, that right. and uh, let's say is, has uh, children and that who uh, and, and or a wife and, you know, they they need him, you know, like it's also when you don't take care of yourself, it's not just harming yourself. It can also be harming others. So I think it's both love of neighbor and and uh, proper love of self, not excessive love, love of self, but proper love of self. Is there an analogy here? Because the, the place where I struggle the most is these are good people. They disagree with me. They don't want to take the medicine. They keep coming back. <laughs> and I, I, I wonder if there's an analogy with confession maybe. Or maybe <laughs> you guys have a secret where you guys get to bestow graces. Yeah. We don't I have wish that. I yeah. had that too. <laughs> um, is there any advice to folks who just, uh, th there's kind of a fixed mindset. Should I just maybe try and introduce the idea of, hey, you're really a steward here, yeah. you know, yeah. thinking yeah. of people. Exactly. And, and I would put it in the context of 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 personal responsibility that God you know is asking of us to assume that responsibility of of taking care of ourselves you know this is also related to a problem that I especially saw during the covid pandemic and it's very much related is uh the two extremes of fideism and rationalism. Uh, yeah. Fideism is faith alone, rationalism, reason alone. Mm -hmm. Well, the church is always faith and reason. Yes. Never, It's not faith or reason. Now, I'd say to nowadays, in the secularized culture where we live, it's a, a lot more rationalism, especially since mm -hmm. the Enlightenment of the 19th century. But there's been some resurgence of fideism mm -hmm. um, and, you know, faith alone. And I think that's very dangerous um, that you know you get to then some religious fanaticism takes place sure. and um, so anyhow I just wanted to mention that but I think that's also related and I, um, I you know I think we have to just remind everyone you know God gave us a gift of reason as well as he gives us the gift of faith so we have to respect both of these gifts and use both of these gifts you know, if we were as good at telling people they're wrong as Bishop Rhodes is, I'll bet our patients would be a lot healthier. Hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. He, he tells people they're wrong for a living. Yeah, he's much more skilled at There's that. There's a gift there. But you know, a more specific example, and admittedly, this could be somewhat triggering for listeners. But you know, a big part of my medical practice is recurrent pregnancy loss and miscarriage, and, and I'll see couples. And they're good, faithful couples, and they've had multiple losses. And I say, if we do some testing, there are very likely some interventions we could do that would at least reduce the probability, maybe dramatically, of you losing another child. Um, and all we need to do is some testing and maybe, as I said, a simple intervention. A and they will take what uh, I think we would call maybe a fatalistic approach and say, you know, if God wanted us to have a successful pregnancy, he would intervene. If if I were to do that, it would be a sign of my my lack of faith. So we're just going to keep trying, and, you know. And there's a side of me that wants to say, you know, you already have four children in heaven. Let's keep it at four. Let's try to <laughs> let's try to prevent that. But it's it's very tough position because they think anyway that they're making the decision sort of on sound faithful reasoning. But but listening to you, it sounds like they're really not. Right, and I think because. They are still, um, uh, obviously you mentioned that they're still seeking uh, pregnancy, mm -hmm. but they're not using some basic ordinary means to accomplish that uh, end. Um, again, presuming that there's no 
burden, excess of burden, or anything like that in sure. whatever procedure you're asking them to or suggesting that they undergo. Mm. Um, I know a couple actually recently who struggled with infertility for a long time, and it didn't appear that they were going to uh, ever be able to conceive. And um, but they continued to use, um, you know, appropriate means, you know, licit, morally licit means. And they were able to conceive him. What joy there was. Oh, yes. And I was so happy. Yeah. But if they had not um, persevered, mm. um, you know, it, it would not have happened. So, again, I think, you know, we have, thanks be to God, doctors like yourself who, who are practicing to help uh, couples um, in a morally licit way to conceive. The you know the the question of it being morally obligatory is a is a challenging oh, one. Sure. I mean, I don't think it's the same thing as what Andrew spoke about. Um, but I'd have to think more about that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I think you're encouraging them is is certainly the right thing to do. I certainly have encountered extreme examples. You know, to your reference, where couples will say, "We're going to stop trying because we feel like." we're contributing to the death of a child because we have mm. so many miscarriages and and while not wow. theologically trained i always i always want to sort of step back and pause and say i just don't think that's sound reasoning right um we're designed to be pregnant uh, man and woman come together for that for that purpose there's more we can do before you just walk away right. but it is a tough space to enter with with families yeah i can imagine you know, maybe another example, really trying to pin in this idea of ordinary means in midlife. Everybody knows with feeding tubes, you got to ask a couple people, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> yes. People don't think of that with, you know, the example I'm thinking of is uh, like the different cancer screenings we do. Mm. Um, you know, colonoscopies is something that I, I perform uh it's not ordinary, uh, an ordinary day at least. Is, is that an ordinary means? Um, and what burden do we have? You know, I've had people tell me, hey, God wants me to get colon cancer. I'm ready to go today. Totally up to God. Do I have to look into that? Or, I mean, we could use other examples, mammograms and whatnot, but colonoscopies, it's a pretty inconvenient day. Is that ordinary? Is that ordinary? Yeah. yeah. That's a great question. I Actually, I just had a conversation about this with a cousin of mine uh, who is not uh, won't get a co uh, colonoscopy, <laughs> and he is someone who really should. He's at the age. He's about my age, and, you know, it, yeah, it's not very pleasant. And I said, you know what? I am so glad because the different colonoscopies I've had, you know, I'm sorry to get into my own medical treatment <laughs> with our listeners. This isn't the most pleasant thing to talk about. Andrew brought up colonoscopies. That's right. Hey, we got to get to the bottom of it. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, there were polyps removed that were, you know, I guess could have been precancerous and, you know, perhaps, you know, I'm could have alive. extended to, your life. Right. Extended yeah. my life and I'm alive today because I, I did that. So. Yeah. I think that's being personally responsible. Um, you know, there's, again, it doesn't get into, you know, I don't think it gets into the moral, morally obligatory, but um, I mean, I think every person in their own conscience, I would feel a moral obligation, though. I mean, what, what do conscience. you think from, I guess, maybe a psychological perspective? What do you think is behind that? reasoning because I doubt it's actually theological reasoning uh, maybe it is but I'm I question if it's actually theological but what do you think is behind a right thinking intelligent educated person feeling so motivated that they're going to avoid a pretty simple ordinary thing that might extend their life it's an interesting thing because I, I don't know if this is true but often they say that we men are like that like we, <laughs> we avoid uh going to the doctor and do, avoid yeah. these other things and i know i have to fight that tendency in myself my doctor will have to remind me that i need <laughs> an annual checkup so, sure. so is the virgin mary the woman in your life that convinces you to go in yes. <laughs> but nice. but there's another woman in my life my sister's a nurse, oh, and, and she will get after me. Yeah, yeah. you can't escape that. Yeah. No way. Yeah. It, is, it is interesting, though, because you wonder, why? What's the resistance? What's there that's motivating you to be, you know, to, 
we would argue in the medical bias to say you're toying with danger why would you do that you probably wear a seatbelt. Um, right you know why not do these things? And the statistics on seatbelts are abysmal compared, compared to, colonoscopy. To, to a lot of other <laughs> yes. things, you know. But even doing things that are unhealthy, um, you know, I think it's a matter – I don't know. I mean, I, I would think just avo- maybe it's some avoidance, mm. uh, you know, not wanting to even think about it, think about our mortality. Yeah, um, It'd be interesting to go more deeply with people and see why um, – uh, just not being attentive. I, I don't know how to say that. I mean, I, I could just say in my own situation, I, I would kind of get involved. You know, we get involved and we're busy in our lives, mm. and sometimes we just don't give it much attention to mm. our health. If, if I was trying to help form my conscience as a patient or one of my patients' consciences as a doctor, what could I point to in the Bible or the catechism or other magisterial teachings to help kind of hone in on this, that we are, there's some baseline responsibility that we owe to, to God to, to work towards health. Yeah, I mean, the catechism reference that comes to mind is the section under the fifth commandment, uh, thou shalt not kill, which gives also the positive things about human life and dignity, um, where it talks about you know, respecting the life and dignity of others, et cetera, and protection of human life. There are there is mention there of the importance of of um, also taking care of one's own health. Mm. Um, I think in the scriptures, um, I mean, the I'm, I'm trying to think of some, maybe some specific passages. I would get back to the idea of Jesus saying, "Love your neighbor as yourself." Mm. So there is that obligation to love oneself. And that includes taking care of one's own health. One of my favorite passages would be a good old book of Sirach, verses, uh, chapter 38, verses 1 to 15, on the value of the physician. You know, give the physician due to him and the pharmacist for making the, the medicines. Mm. Uh, that is the, <laughs> the, the lengthiest section of Scripture that I'm familiar with, Sirach 38, 1 to 15. But I think what we've uncovered, at least for me, more than I would have thought before listening um, to you, Bishop, is just this intersection of sort of health and 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 duty. Yeah. You know, the idea that I'm not taking care of myself because, you know, I want to look good at the pool this summer. Right. I'm taking care <laughs> of myself because I have a moral obligation to treat my body as something that it's not mine. It's a gift. And then the idea that you know, health doesn't happen in a vacuum. To your point about the man who has a spouse and who has children and grandchildren, I don't get the privilege of saying, I do what I want with my life and my body because it belongs to other people as well. Well, and it, it makes me kind of wonder like, okay, we're in this time of Lent now when we're recording. As we're examining our consciences, what would be some good things to think about or ask ourselves to, to make sure we're, we're on the straight and narrow here? I think I would ask myself, uh, am I living the virtue of temperance? Mm. Uh, I think that's a very important question. Um, as far as uh, am I taking reasonable care of my body? Mm. Um, I think one of the things, again, with the idea that physical health is a precious gift that God has entrusted to us, um, we have to avoid what the catechism speaks of as the cult of the body, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is like the body's the most important thing. Sort like of top, idolatry of idol- the body. Yeah. Right. That sometimes happens with, you know, wanting physical perfection, so mm-hmm. success at sports in an excessive degree, mm-hmm. um, even to the point where one is actually damaging their mm-hmm. body oh. through excessive, you know, things that, that c- can happen. Um so I did want to mention that. Um, I think one should ask themselves, you know, are there, you know, do I abuse food? Do I, you know, ask ourselves if we abuse alcohol um, or drugs, whatever it can be, because of the grave damage that can happen to one's health and one's life. Mm. Um, so those are some of the questions I would ask in the examination of conscience. Mm. So, Andrew, you know, uh, walking where angels fear to tread. I think that there's been in pediatrician care, family practice care, somewhat of a reduction in the typical childhood vaccines Mm. in the last several years. Is that true? 
Big time. And so I suspect there might be a question there for the bishop. Yeah, you know, <laughs> vaccines talk about triggering words. You never get any of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but uh, vaccines, obviously, very triggering and how doctors deal with them. Uh, knowing, you know, assuming that our listeners have read that uh, letter from the Vatican in 2005, how should we as faithful Catholics who appreciate science how should we think about vaccines, especially when folks, there's so many negative things about vaccines um, that are talked about by our friends. Uh, how should we think about vaccines and what are our obligations to receive them, if any? Yeah. Oh, wow. That is a very controversial issue, as as you know, and uh, as um, letters that I get also. Um, but the bottom line is the church has said that the vaccines that you know, the common vaccines that we're talking about for children, or even the COVID vaccine for that matter, is uh, are morally illicit. And there's a whole moral analysis that's been done by the best moral theologians, um, agreed upon by the Pope and, and the great, great majority of bishops. And mm. um, so the church has, has said this is morally illicit. So some people, though, um, refuse to accept that. And sometimes, in my discussions with people with that opinion, it's very difficult because it's almost like um, reason is not mm -mm. being followed. And now, I'm not saying that uh, there can't be some legitimate debate about certain vaccines, et cetera, but I think those that, um, I, I, you know, there's, um, I, I, it gets back to the faith and reason mm -hmm. issue again. Um, but I think it's not only the protection, you know, the protection of one's children, but also others, because by the non-use of vaccines, there can be greater spread of disease. So it's not only about oneself, but it's also about the common good and the health of others. Yeah, and we recently did the show on uh, Cardinal George. May he rest in peace. I mean, he suffered from polio because he got it just a few years before the vaccine came out and he yeah. suffered his whole life and many other people did because of it and I think there aren't people alive today who remember that anymore so they don't have the same need. I know, what kind of attitudes are you hearing from your parents of your young children about vaccines, Andrew? That's changed over the last five you years. Know, and, w and with vaccines in particular, I never look at a patient and say like they, they're their heart's in the wrong place. I think right. people are scared, right. you know? And so I guess maybe one of the things that I always try and do is present myself as an authority in this area that you can trust. Um, is there maybe a word, Bishop, to seeking out reasonable places to get information um, and an obligation there? <laughs> so that's where we're asking. We say the easy ones for you. Yeah. No, well, you know, that's a great question because what, what I think is happening is, especially because of social media, oh. is there's so much out there that people believe, you know, certain things that are um, not, you know, medically um, – Factual, really. Factual, yeah. right, exactly. And how do you counter uh, all of that? I, I, I think it's a big challenge. Um, I mean, I would rely more on you on what are the best medical uh, experts to read, you know, studies or whatever that have been done. I mean, I've read a lot, but I'm not an expert by any means. I have a certain, uh, you know, we're not saying that medical science is infallible mm -hmm. or that there can't be mistakes made. It is, you know, but you have to weigh um, you know, the results of experiments, et cetera. And, you know, and, you know, nothing, I guess, is without potentially negative side effects. So you have to kind of, again, look reason. at all of that. You use your reason. Um, but where I would refer people to, that's a good question. I, you know, I would look at reputable studies and reputable scientific and medical research. Um, if they're questioning those things. And it's interesting. I think the could versus should question always comes up. Um, and and uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's worth pointing out there is nothing wrong with right-thinking, conscientious parents trying to decide where they stand on various vaccines. And I think we learned through the pandemic that talking about the polio vaccine and now maybe the COVID vaccine – Maybe it's not fair to compare those side to side as we learn more about some of the, the traumas we inflicted on ourselves through the pandemic. It was, after all, 
a pandemic uh, and complicated. And, and you know, you could argue maybe there is a duty to ask these questions, but at the same time, it is morally licit for these childhood vaccines. But I'm sure, you know, Andrew, you see couples that that make a logical, informed decision to maybe forego one or some or change the schedule I, or something. You know what I'm thinking is we might have to invite the bishop back for a vaccine episode. <laughs> yes, if, if you're looking for more penance, Bishop. Yeah, yeah, we are penance. out of time with this episode. <laughs> bishop Rhodes, thank you so much for being here with us on this episode of Dr. Doctor. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor, and welcome to the answer of this episode's medical trivia question. And it's about prescription fill rates. How likely are you to fill that prescription that Dr. Mullally writes you? So, <laughs> 175,000 people, prescriptions for antibiotics, blood pressure, and diabetes medicines. What percent went unfilled? A whopping 25% went out of every four prescriptions not filled. So, from this great episode with our bishop, we have three top takeaways. Chris? You first. You know, I, I love, I always love listening to Bishop Rhodes, but just this idea of intersection of faith and medicine, this really was the intersection. But my first one is this idea that healthcare for yourself is really love of neighbor. I, I love the way he pointed that out, and I honestly didn't really think of it that way before. My takeaway would be an action point. Bishop talked about using the virtues as an examination of conscience, especially temperance. Mm. And I think. That's a, a great take-home point for the next time we go to confession. Right, and there's a nice section in the catechism on, on temperance with some practical application. And mine, you know, uh, be similar to Andrew, an action point is I've really gotten a lot of value from that book in the Old Testament, Sirach. Read chapter 38. The first half of it is about the value of the physician in our lives taking care of our health and how important that is. So it comes from God. And to trying to put in perspective, what is the role of those people who help us with our health so that we can not only help us, but those around us, as Chris said. Now, for you cradle Catholics, Sirach, that's towards the beginning of the Bible. They have over there on the, on the left side. <laughs> on the left-hand left uh, side. <laughs> Thank you for bearing with us on yet another episode of Dr. Doctor. You can find this in all our old sub episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. And you can click on Episode Archive at the top and you can listen to over 300 exciting episodes. drdoctor.org, top of the page, YouTube length. Check out the video version of our podcast. We think you'll like it. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And this is Dr. Chris Stroud. And Dr. Andrew Mullally. And we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. <laughs>